Well, it's great to see you this morning. I was like, Super Bowl, then it snows, and I'm thinking, well, at least, you know, nobody really likes the New England Patriots or the Seattle Seahawks. Does anybody here like them? Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. Okay, there's a New England guy back there. Okay, just ignore him. Try to focus on God, okay? No. <laughs> anyway, bless you. God, Jesus died for everyone, even cheaters. What? <laughs> I can't hear Bill. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, I got a big old log in my eye. Anyway, it's, uh, it's great to see you this morning. And um, this morning's sermon is really a continuation of last week's sermon. So if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you really can't judge this week's sermon, right? So hopefully you'll go online and you'll listen to it. Uh, but at the start of last week's sermon, I told you a story about a holy man who lived each moment in joy and wonder. His life was like a dance, and one night he camped outside of this village, and a man came running to him from the village saying, give me the stone, give me the stone, give me the stone. And the holy man said, what stone? And the man said, well, I had a dream, and in the dream the Lord told me that you would give me a precious stone that would make me rich forever. And so the holy man rummaged through his bag, and he said, oh, the Lord must have meant this stone. The other night I was walking along the path, and I stumbled across this stone, and you certainly may have it and he handed the stone to the man with a smile it was a 10 pound diamond largest diamond this world has ever seen the man took it he went back to the village but that night he couldn't sleep he tossed he turned all night long in the morning he went back to the holy man and he said now would you give me the wealth which makes it which makes it possible for you to give away this 10 pound diamond so easily and then we ask the question, well, who could give away a 10-pound diamond so easily? And we realize a little child could give away a 10-pound diamond so easily. And a little child could receive the kingdom of God so easily. A little child trusts and follows so easily. A little child doesn't believe he or she is responsible for love, and so he or she can respond to love. A little child could give away a 10-pound diamond with a smile. But a rich young ruler cannot. And unless you can give away a 10-pound diamond with a smile, it appears that you cannot be saved. Well, last time, and even the time before, we preached that Jesus came to give us a mirror, a mirror that turns rich young rulers into little children for it tells us who we truly are. We are children dearly beloved by a Father who is love and who has all power. Jesus gave us a mirror like this. <laughs> so that was last week's sermon, and now I want to look at the same text, but go a little deeper, okay? This is Mark chapter 10, verse 13, and they were bringing children, little children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such, of such, belongs and is the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them, and as he was Setting out on his journey, this man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is really a strange question when, when you think about it. What must I do to inherit? Well, to inherit something, you don't do anything. I mean, unless you are the uncreated creator, you inherit everything, right? All 
that you do, all that you are, and even the will with which you do it. Unless you have created yourself out of nothing, well, your only option is to inherit everything. Little children are aware of that. Rich young rulers seem to have forgotten that. You didn't create the diamond, you stumbled across the diamond, and if you consider it to be your diamond, well then it's a stolen diamond. The, the creator's diamond. Well anyway, like I was saying, to inherit something from someone, you don't do anything. Unless, of course, you were to kill the someone from which you want to inherit the something. The rich young ruler wants to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, I am the life. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He went away sad because he had great possessions. Sorrowful. And Jesus seems to have great sorrow for him. He, he feels genuinely sorry for this guy for he possesses things. <laughs> or they possess him, or both. Jesus looks on him, loves him, and that's why he says these things to him, okay? So please note, Jesus does not need this guy's money. We already saw Jesus gets money out of the mouth of fish. He can turn water into fine wine that I'm sure he could sell at Tipsy's if he wanted to. We pastors, you know, we often preach on the rich young rulers so we can become rich young rulers of rich young rulers and rich young churches. But Jesus doesn't need this guy's stuff. This guy just needs to get rid of his stuff. Jesus says, give it to the poor. And I don't think Jesus is worried about the poor. If anything, he's worried about the rich. I mean, in Luke, he says, woe to you that are rich. And blessed are you that are poor. Of such consists the kingdom. He, he also said that about a little children. Of such consists the kingdom. And like we said last week, all little children, when you think about it, are, are poor. Blessed, happy are the poor. In Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think that means if you're physically poor but you want to be rich, then you're not poor in spirit, but you're like, whoa, in spirit. That is, you're greedy. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul writes that the greedy shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That should scare us Americans, I think. I watched BBC World News. This past week they reported that the 85 richest people in the world possess as much as the 3.5 billion poorest people in the world. They also reported that the top 1% will soon own more than the bottom 50%. They went on to say that if you possess property worth $800,000, you're in the top 1%. Yeah, but listen closely. I don't think Jesus is even talking about the top 1%. He's talking about everyone that wants to be in the top 1%. He's talking about everyone that has two coats and is unwilling or does not want to give one coat to the man that has no coats. He's talking about anyone that couldn't give away a 10-pound diamond with a smile. And please notice, Jesus did not say give 10%. In other words, this is not a story about smart money management. This is a story about no money management because you've given it all away. Now you may say, well, Jesus didn't say this to everyone. And I suppose that's true. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul writes that if a person doesn't provide for their family, 
they're worse than an unbeliever if they don't provide. Well, what does that mean to provide? He goes on to say, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. Not, if we have Disneyland, we'll be content. But it's not as if Jesus hates Disneyland or doesn't appreciate fine things. He does appreciate fine things. He just appreciates everybody appreciating fine things. And he really appreciates giving away fine things, like 10-pound diamonds. He even likes giving away work. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul writes, If a person's not willing to work, let them not eat. Let them not eat until they will to work. Like work itself is to be a blessing. So not giving to the poor that won't work, it shouldn't stop you from giving to the poor that will work because I think you can find the poor that will work. I think there's like maybe four, five, six billion of them in our world in which we live. And so maybe Jesus didn't say sell all to everyone, but he did say to everyone, Luke 12, 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And check this out. Paul writes, if I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So, unless you are willing to work and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and do it all because you want to, because you really love to, not because you have to. I think you may be greedy, and the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think we're all rich young rulers. Or want to be. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because he has great possessions. Maybe you're sad because you have great possessions. And now the gospel. Jesus feels sad for you. And he looks upon you with love. Verse 22, disheartened by this saying, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have crema, wealth, business, responsibilities to enter the kingdom of God. Luke records that this guy was an archon. That's the, the Greek for, for ruler. He was a ruler with responsibilities. You know, I'm definitely rich compared to most of this world, but I may not be rich compared to you. However, I am the ruler of the sanctuary. <laughs> and I feel extremely responsible for what I rule. Actually, right before the service, we were praying in that back room there, and I heard this knock down on that door down in below the tower. I went down there, opened the door, and there was this guy sitting there. He was like, a, he had like crazy eyes. He looked kind of wild, and he said, Peter, are you coming with me? Would you come with me? And I said, well, where are you going? And he said, oh, I'm going to a place where peasants and beggars, they sit at the king's table. And I said, oh, there's no such place like that. You've got to be kidding me. He said, no, no, it's true. And not only that, they throw banquets for, 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 for prostitutes and, and prodigals and, and bad boys and lost sheep. I said, oh, come on, there's, there's no such place to that. And he said, well, so are, are you coming? Are you coming? And I said, look. I can't follow you on some crazy, wild adventure. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm responsible for preaching the word of God. I'm responsible for the word of God. Well, when I got back upstairs, Kathleen said to me, what was that about? I said, I don't know, just some crazy guy with wild notions. And she said, was he alone? And I said, well, no, he had these, he had these 12 guys with him. Now you may be thinking, hey, that didn't really happen. <laughs> You're right, it didn't really happen. And yet it is happening all the time. God is love. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Has love ever asked you to follow? And you replied, I'm sorry, but it would cost me too much. Has truth ever asked you to follow? And you replied, I can't. That might damage business. I have too many responsibilities. 
Has life ever asked you to follow you follow and, and, and you didn't choose life because you wanted to be a rich young ruler, but you went away sad. You know, if you think you possess the word of God, responsible for the word of God, well, you couldn't really follow the word of God, could you? Even if he appeared at the back door. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth, responsibilities to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Children. He calls the 12 children. And it's at this point in Matthew that he reminds the 12 that they will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. To these 12 guys, he entrusts his mission. Even by worldly standards, these 12, this group of men, was and is the most powerful group of men that has ever lived. In just a few weeks, Jesus will entrust to them the kingdom and Peter will lead them and he calls them children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. No, I've studied this. Do you know what camel means? It means camel. <laughs> And do you know what the eye of the needle refers to? The eye of a needle. No, the gate wasn't there for another 500 years, archaeologists say, something like that. That's what I read. C.S. Lewis argued that it's possible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's just extremely hard on the camel. <laughs> I mean, the only things that fit through the eye of a needle are things that are about the size of what? A, a mustard seed. Jesus said, if you have faith like that of a mustard seed, like a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, and remember, Jesus is the promised seed, and we will all be judged right down to what? To faith, faith of a child, and Jesus always remains a child. Well, anyway, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, well, then who can be saved? See, they were thinking it's not easy to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Who can be saved? I mean, if someone with all this wealth and all this responsibility and all these capabilities cannot be saved. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's impossible for a rich young ruler to give away a 10-pound diamond and to do it with a smile. It's impossible for a rich young ruler to freely choose to be a poor, powerless, and happy child. It's impossible for a greedy person to just simply decide to not be greedy. It's impossible for a man to cut out his own heart of stone and give himself God's heart of flesh. It's impossible for a man to simply choose to love as God is love. It's impossible for any man to save himself. Impossible. But all things are possible with God. Well, Peter, Peter began to say to him, well, look, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Has Peter left everything? He thinks he's left everything. Yet he obviously haven't, hasn't left his, his pride over leaving everything or his fear that he might not have left everything. He hasn't left his sense of responsibility for everything, including Jesus, the Word of God. Remember, Jesus appointed Peter to lead his church and entrusted him with the riches of the gospel. I think he felt responsible for the Word of God. I mean, it must have felt like quite a responsibility to reign and to rule over such an endeavor. And, and think about that terrain. I mean, there's an irony in this story, isn't there? Jesus is the richest, youngest ruler that ever lived. And Peter will now be the richest, youngest ruler that is alive. And every Christian is destined to reign and rule and live forever young. You know, there's nothing wrong with making money. 
or leading people. In fact, God commands Adam to till the, to till the garden and keep it. And, and Adam is to exercise dominion. There's nothing wrong with making money. The problem seems to come with keeping money. And there's nothing wrong with leading people. The problem seems to come with keeping people. If you're a businessman, the currency with which you measure your success is probably money. If you're a preacher or a pastor or a fisher of men, the currency with which you measure your success is probably men. And if you think those men are your possession, then you're not just sad, but wretched. And if you think the grace of God and Jesus the Christ are your possession and your responsibility, well, maybe you're satanic. Get behind me, Satan. Well, Peter hasn't given up everything. To save his ego, he'll soon deny Jesus and be sifted by Satan. Like a camel forced through the eye of a needle, he will die to himself, but then he will rise with Jesus and he will give away 10 pound diamonds with a smile. He will give away the kingdom of God with a smile. Next verse. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers and children and lands with, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus said, give your possessions to the poor, give your treasures to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And he also said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, like you can keep your money in a bank, or you can convert your money into bread and store it in the belly of a hungry child, and then that child will be your heaven at hand. Years ago, I stood in this half-finished church building in Maputo, Mozambique, Andrew Trawick and I were showing the Jesus film, and the place was just overrun with all these little kids, I mean, really happy children. And then I noticed this old man acting really young, and he was just covered with little children as if he was the life of the party. And I remember thinking, how strange. Through the interpreter, I discovered that he had been a very wealthy and successful businessman in Brazil, a very wealthy and successful and very sad and lonely businessman in Brazil until he liquidated his assets and began building churches in the slums of Maputo, Mozambique. And now he routinely traveled from Brazil to Mozambique, not because he needed to, but because he wanted to, for these children have become his home, his treasure, his heaven, his house of endless love. A hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. I mean, this is no health and wealth formula. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Many who, the great Bible scholar, Joachim, I don't even know if I say that right, Jeremias, um, he wrote that in this instance, studying the way the, the Greeks use the word many and out of, the, out of the Greek is used out of the Hebrew and the Aramaic. Anyway, he said in this instance, many means all. In Matthew 20, 16, Jesus just says it plainly. The last will be first, and the first last. Do you get that? The last will be first, and the first last. And now if you're not already offended by this sermon and the word of God, you're just not listening. <laughs> the first will be last. So if you've been sitting here this morning judging rich young rulers thinking, I'm the best at not being a rich young ruler, well then actually you're the worst. And you are one. Because the first will be last, and the last first. I mean, imagine that if, if, they, if they, the NFL announces that at the end of today's game, then they'll really have problems, right? The first will be last, and the last will be first. The first will be last and the last. I mean, could there be a harsher judgment upon this world and the energy of human flesh than that? I mean, can you even imagine such a world, such a, a kingdom, such a place, such an arrangement? So anyway, Jesus says, rich young ruler, if you're first, give all you have to the last. And the rich young ruler goes away sad. So I'd just like us to ponder this question for a minute. 
Why did the rich young ruler not give away his 10-pound diamond? Well, I think, number one, the rich young ruler did not trust that God provides. You know, when my kids were little and we sent them off to school, we discovered that we had to give them exact change with which to buy lunch. Because even if I said, look, I'm giving you a $5 bill, and buddy, you gotta give me the change. Okay, the lady's gonna give you the change. You gotta give me the change. You're gonna bring the change home, right? You, you gotta bring me the change. Even though I said that over and over again, they would never bring home the change. Not because they lost it, not because they spent it on themselves, but invariably because some other little child would say, hey, I'd like a cookie, I'd like a pop, but I don't have any money. And then one of my children would say, well, you may certainly have this money. And then like the holy man with the 10 pound diamond, they just hand it to him with a smile. And so I'd have to sit him down, and what would I say? I mean, what would I say? Stop giving my money away. Stop it. You know, money just doesn't grow on trees. I mean, it's not like you could find money in the mouth of fish. It's not like water turns to wine. It's not like the sun shines and the plants grow and the, and the grapes grow and the fish swim in the water all for free. It's not, like, it's not like that. Sure, you may have a father that provides you with all you need, but it's not like I have a father good enough or strong enough to provide me with all that I need. Stop assuming that I have faith in God the way you have faith in me. Stop being so faithful. <laughs> I mean, is that what I should have told them? Now you might say, well, if you don't teach them that money comes from work, they'll never work. And you see, that's the crazy thing. Watch little kids, they work and work and work until they're exhausted and they pass out. They work, but they call it play. They work, but they don't believe that their work is the source of their provision. So why do they work? Because they like to play. Because they like to do whatever they see their father doing. I mean, when my children were little, they wanted to do whatever I was doing, but they did not trust their work, they trusted me. And so their work felt like play, and even as they worked, their little hearts rested, and all their work was worship, and their work abides. It's still hanging on my office wall. It's in boxes in the basement. I love their work. Well, the rich young ruler did not trust that God the Father provides. He didn't trust that God provides his righteousness. It's a big church word. It means his rightness. We all know that something's wrong, right? We can feel it deep in our heart, and we all want to make it right. See, I don't think the rich young ruler actually cared about possessions all that much. I don't think he cared about 10-pound diamonds all that much. He just thought that those things might make him right. And I, advertisers, they hope that you think that those things would make you right, but 10-pound diamonds, possessions, and McDonald's hamburgers will not make you right. Is endless. endless. Thirteen, I've got brand new eyes. Fourteen, everything's a surprise. Fifteen, not a day that I regret. Love is endless. What are they selling? Hamburgers, but they're marketing hamburgers as endless love. Burger King markets hamburgers as freedom, have it your way. Wendy's markets hamburgers as hearth and home. They're old-fashioned hamburgers, but you can't buy a true home or real freedom and certainly not endless love. But we must think you can because those commercials work. You can't possess endless love. Endless love must possess you. You know, a spoiled child begins to think that possessions can make them right. And so they begin to mistake signs of love 
for the presence of love. They get whatever they want, but no longer want whatever they get, for they've lost their capacity to want what they truly need, and that is what they most deeply want. They want love. And only love can make us right. Love is what makes 10-pound diamonds right. When my boys were little, I just loved <laughs> buying Hot Wheels for them at the grocery store. With 99 cents, I could just rock their world. But sometimes I'd make myself not buy Hot Wheels. No matter how much they begged, no matter how much they laid on the floor and cried that I did not love them, for I didn't want them confusing Hot Wheels with the love that gave them the Hot Wheels. I didn't want to spoil them, for spoiled children always go away sad. The rich young ruler is confusing his possessions with the love that handed him those possessions. In order to know love, we must all surrender our possessions and be possessed by love. Well, the rich young ruler doesn't trust that God provides his righteousness, so he's trying to make himself righteous by making himself first, which is really last, for love makes itself last, that others might be first. I don't think the rich young ruler cared about possessions and 10-pound diamonds. I think he cared about more possessions and more 10-pound diamonds. But, but, but now let me ask you this. What if you consider your ability to give away possessions to be a great possession? I mean, could a holy man make giving away diamonds his 10-pound diamond? A disciple came to the great master saying, look, I have come to you with nothing in my hands. And the great master said, drop it at once! For you carry your nothing like a great possession. Peter said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. But has he given up everything? Jesus said, he had said, you are rocky and on this rock I will build my church. See, I think Peter is feeling some pressure and so he's trying to make himself the, well what? The rich young ruler of the church. He's trying to make himself righteous. But not only that, he wanted to be more righteous. So if righteousness is about selling your possessions, well, he'd sell more possessions. If righteousness is about letting Jesus wash your feet, well, he'd ask Jesus to wash his feet and his whole body also. If righteousness is about being faithful, he'd be more faithful. So on the night Jesus is betrayed at dinner, he said, look, Jesus, even if all these guys fade away, even if they all fall away, I will not fail away. I will not deny you. Uh, even if I die, I will not deny you. And that very night, when Jesus needed him the most, he denied him three times. The cock crowed, and Peter was sifted like a camel, forced through the eye of a needle. He exalted himself, and he was humbled. He was the first of the disciples, and he became the last of the disciples. And then he became the first, which is to be the last. <laughs> For the first of all must be last of all and servant of all, says Jesus. In just a few verses. Last of all, servant of all. The last will be first and the first last. I mean, have you ever really thought about that verse? Like if that verse is absolute, the first will be last and the last will be first. Have you, have you ever seen a society like that, a place like that, where the last is first and the first is last? Irma Bombeck wrote this. Every mother has a favorite child. I have mine, the child with whom I share love that no one else could possibly understand. My favorite child, that is the one I consider my first. My favorite child is the one who messed up the piano recital, ran the wrong way with the football, and had his bike stolen because he was careless. My favorite child is the one I punish for lying and grounded for insensitivity to other people's feelings. My favorite child slammed doors in frustration and cried when she didn't think I saw her. My favorite child was selfish, immature, bad-tempered, and self-centered. He was vulnerable, lonely, unsure of what he was doing in this world, and quite wonderful. All mothers have their favorite child. It is always the same one the one who needs her the most at the time.
I think I've experienced something like that as a father in the society of our home, our living room. So in my mind, in my heart, when I ask myself this question, which of my four children was the first? Well, I think the answer is the one that considered himself or herself to be the last. The one that hid the beer bottles under their bed during a board meeting. The one that told me she secretly felt sad like all the time. The one that got caught in his lies. The one that thought I loved his brother more than he. So who does God the Father love the most? Jesus? Or maybe the rich young ruler? Or Peter? Or Judas? Or do you not believe that the first became last so that the last might become first, and that the first of all made himself last of all and servant of all? Well, anyway, imagine if all the children loved the Father and all the children loved each other the way the Father loved the children. That is the way Jesus loves each one of us. Well, it would be like what? Like a great party, where the moment someone considers themselves to be the last, someone else would say, well, I want to be the last so that that person can be the first. And then they were the last, and another person said, well, I'll be last so they can be the first. Last and first, last and first. It would be like a, a great game of what? Pass the 10-pound diamond, where the object is not holding on to the diamond. The joy is in passing the diamond. It would be like Revelation chapter 5, where the saints cast constantly, it says, constantly cast their crowns before him, which means he must be constantly putting them back on their head, where, where they all humble themselves and are there by exalted. It would be like a great dance in which you cannot really tell who is first and who is last because the first become last and the last become first quicker than you can even figure it out. It would be heaven. And you know, if the last are to be first, there could be no torture chamber of endless horrors that we call hell because any hell must be consumed by the great dance that is heaven. Like death and Hades are consumed by the eternal fire. Uh, like every heart of stone must be replaced with a heart of eternal flesh. Like this perishable must put on the imperishable. Like every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise. For God has made himself last of all and servant of all. And Christ Jesus our Lord, the slaughtered lamb, standing on the throne. He is endless love. But not your own private, exclusive possession. There's enough endless love for all. So anyway, why did the rich young ruler find it so hard to give away his possessions? Well, he didn't trust that God provides his righteousness, and so he tried to make himself righteous. He didn't trust that God his Father is love, and that nothing is more powerful than love. Well, what if the knowledge that God is love and nothing is more powerful than love, what if that knowledge becomes your 10-pound diamond and you think that you possess that diamond, that you're responsible for that diamond? Because you see, I think we at the sanctuary, we've stumbled across a 10-pound diamond. How do we not go away sad? How did Peter not go away sad? How does the rich young ruler not go away sad? Well, I think we have to give away all that we think we possess. Juan Carlos Ortiz talked, I remember he used to talk about how at their church in Argentina they started preaching this message of Jesus' lordship and giving and before long he said people gave so many possessions that they didn't know what to do with all the property and so they said, look, if you give your car to the church, well, we'd like you to care for our car <laughs> and we'd like you to drive our car 
And if you give your house to the church, well, we'd like you to live in our house and, and care for our house, but if we ever need our house, we'll call you and say, we, we, we need our house and our land, and, and we need to drive our car. We'll, we'll make you stewards of our house and our land and our car. And Jesus said, you are stewards. So you must surrender all your possessions to him, because a steward owns nothing. You must surrender all your possessions to him and then ask him, would you like me to live in your house? Would you like me to drive your car to your job to make your money to buy your food so I can feed your children? <laughs> and would you like me to take me, your me, would you like me to take your kids to Disneyland? <laughs> And don't be surprised if he sometimes says, yes, because he loves Disneyland and he loves you and you are a steward in his house. He loves his family. First Peter 4.10, Peter writes that we are each stewards of God's varied grace. You know, Peter was the chief steward of the gospel of grace. And that's easily as valuable as a 10 pound diamond. Peter was charged with giving it away. But over the years, the church began to not give it away. In fact, the church even began to market the 10-pound diamond. The church began saying things like this, the Father loves you if. God forgives you if. Jesus died for you if. The first of all became servant of all if. All things are possible for God if you make them possible for God. The pastors, priests, popes became rich young rulers that would not surrender the diamond. I bet that's because they felt responsible for the diamond. They felt responsible for love and could not respond to love. Freely receiving love and freely giving love, they, they felt responsible for grace. They believed grace was like their own possession. And now we hold the 10 pound diamond. We know that God is love and nothing, nothing is more powerful than love. And you know, I feel responsible to comprehend that message, to explain that message, to proclaim that message, but I often go away, I go away sad, feeling crushed by the burden of that message. On Pentecost, Peter proclaimed that message. He was poor, but rich. He was powerless and yet profoundly powerful. He, he was not a rich young ruler and yet he was the greatest, richest, youngest ruler that walked the face of the earth at the time, but he did not go away sad. I think that's because he was filled with the spirit of Jesus. And like we said last time, Jesus was the richest of all rulers, even the Lord of time. He was the richest, youngest ruler, and he gave it all away. He was first and became last, that the last might be first. It's, it's impossible for men, but possible for God. And Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus had a mirror. The eyes of his Father were his mirror. And so he'd look in the mirror and hear his Father say, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, little children don't do in order to become. They are, and therefore they do. I mean, they'll say, I'm Spider-Man, I'm Superman, and therefore they do. Children don't do to become beloved. They trust that they are beloved, and so they do. Jesus believed he was beloved, that his father is love, and nothing is more powerful than love, and so he gave himself away and all things with him. He humbled himself, and God has highly exalted him above every name that is named. He is the richest, youngest ruler. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the savior of the world. He's the eschatos man. He's the superman, the super Adam, the superhero, and yet he forever remains his father's child because he has a mirror. How could Peter bear the weight of his calling 
to preach the gospel of salvation and lead the advance of the new creation upon the face of this fallen world. How could he do it? Well, he couldn't do it without the mirror and the heart of a child. Jesus suffered, died, and rose again to give Peter his mirror so he could look in that mirror and do what he was called to do with the heart of a child. Okay. Do you remember how Peter Parker almost quit being the Spider-Man because he couldn't bear the responsibility of having to save the world? Well, imagine if he could have looked in a mirror. Imagine if he could look in a mirror and see that he was a child of a father who is absolute love and has all power, who constantly provides all we need, including our righteousness, our success, for he has already declared, Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Imagine if he could look in a mirror like that. Imagine if you could look in a mirror like that. Well, you might do everything that you did before or tried to do before and yet do it in an entirely different way. In fact, all your work, it might feel like play. And you might give yourself an even 10-pound diamonds away <laughs> with a smile. So on the night he was betrayed, the Son of Man, the Superman, took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it, and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This is your mirror. This tells you who you are. And this is also the 10-pound diamond. This is endless love. But you do not possess this like some private possession. This possesses you. And you are to give him to others like a child. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given everything to us. Even the breath I breathe right now is a gift from you given to me, and the will with which I speak is the gift from, me, uh, from you given to me. Everything is a gift uh, given from you to me, and so, Lord God, I, I give it back to you. We give it back to you. In fact, if you would, just, just pray this silently in your heart. Say, Father, I surrender to you all my possessions. And Father, I surrender to you the 10-pound diamond.
You are endless love. And there is enough love for all. Even my enemies. In Jesus' name, make me an instrument of your peace. Amen. Well, if you're like me, you're kind of scared here. Because you, you listen to a sermon like this, and you think, oh, crap. You, you, you read the story, then you listen to the BBC World News, and you think, I'm such a frickin' rich young ruler, and I better get my crap together, right? Well, that's a very rich young ruler kind of thing to do. Um, to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing work. You know, there's something I think fascinating in this story. When it, when it says that Jesus, Jesus said, um, well, go sell all your possessions. Um, I, I, well, well, first let me say, if, if, you, if you think that, if you think, well, I'm going to make it work, you need to hear this. It's impossible. <laughs> Jesus says that. It's impossible. You, you can't make it work. So, so how do we make it work? Well, in the story, uh, Scripture says that uh, Jesus loved him and looked at him. But it doesn't say the rich young ruler looked at Jesus. In fact, I think the rich young ruler, uh, the moment he heard Jesus say what he said, I think he looked down. And why did he look down? Because he was afraid to look up. Because what did he think he would see in the eyes of Jesus? Condemnation. But what was in the eyes of Jesus? Love. Like, we can do this. We can do this. We can live. We can live in freedom and truth. Come with me. You can come with me. But he looked down. I don't know if you remember this, but in Scripture it says that when Peter... Um, denied Jesus three times. Remember the cock crowed, and it says that Jesus looked at him. I think Peter looked at Jesus. And the look of Jesus was not the look of love. It was a look, or not the condemnation, it was a look of absolute love, and it undid Peter. I mean, Peter was sifted by Satan, but Jesus was in charge of the sifting. Peter died with Jesus, and he rose with Jesus. And so you see what I'm saying. I'm just saying keep looking into the eyes of Jesus. We see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus, and he loves you. And you're a child. You can only do this by remembering you're a beloved child of a father who is love, and nothing is more powerful than love. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.